Hey there, and welcome to the Agentic Voice Podcast. In today's episode, we are discussing research on the professional voice and the building of a voice institute. My name is Kristen Ruiz, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Geneva Main, and our special guest for today, Christine Murphy Estes. And don't forget to follow and subscribe to our channels on Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. And drop us a note and let us know what you'd love to hear more about at info at theagenticvoice.org. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Christine Murphy Estes is a speech language pathologist who specializes in voice and upper airway disorders, including phonotraumatic injury, neurologic voice disorders, chronic cough, and age-related voice change. As a classical singer with a bachelor's degree in voice performance from Crane School of Music and a master's degree in opera performance from McGill University, she has specialized expertise in the care of the professional voice. One year ago, Christine joined the Westchester Medical Center in Valhalla, New York, where she is helping build and expand the comprehensive interdisciplinary voice and swallow program alongside laryngologist Dr. David Garber. This followed an 11 year tenure with Wild Cornell Medical College in New York City, where she was a founding member of the Sean Parker Institute for the Voice and helped establish the Institute as a center for quality care and clinical research. She is, an, she is appointed as an assistant professor at the New York Medical College Institute of Public Health and is actively involved in clinical research, educational conferences and outreach programs. Christine, we are so looking forward to our chat today. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me here today. It is such a pleasure to chat with the two of you. I am truly excited to see where our conversation goes today. Oh my goodness, I've been waiting to do this for so long. I'm so excited. Um, before we get into the nitty gritty, let's talk about what's new and what's good. And I know you have exciting news. I can't wait to hear it. It's breaking news, everybody. Um, <laughs> And I, I usually start, I really don't have anything super, super exciting going on. It's like my first big major winter in my house and I'm dealing with like snow removal and <laughs> non-exciting things. And it's quite the learning curve. Um, but yeah, that's what's been preoccupying my time. But what's going on with you? I do have breaking news. You're the first to hear. I'm, I'm so excited to share this. Um, I'm going to be the chair for the Fall Voice Conference Speech Language Pathology pre-conference. Nice. And yes, and I, I'm I'm so excited. Uh, we're, we're in the very kind of beginning stages. I have an outstanding co-chair, Daniel Buckley from Boston Medical Center. And the two of us have been tasked with creating a full day program of hopefully awesomeness about voice to share with the SLPs at the Fall Voice Conference in Phoenix this year. Um, so it's I'm so thrilled to do it. I was honored and humbled to be asked. And I'm I'm just my brain is on overdrive right now trying to think of themes and guest speakers and things like that. That is so exciting. Thank you. A little bit overwhelming though, like <laughs> it's, are you listeners? I'm I'm vigorously nodding right now. It it, it is overwhelming. <laughs> it yeah. is very overwhelming. Um, with all of the excitement comes a oh my gosh, I have to make it amazing. Because <laughs> right. you know, if it flops, it's all on you. <laughs> no exactly, pressure. right? No, no pressure at all. 
<laughs> but it's always good. A lot of people say fall voice is like their favorite conference. It's, it's truly one of my favorite conferences. I have gone almost every year um, since I started um, my, my very first position um, at the, at Weill Cornell Medical College in, in 2011. I think I've gone every single year almost, and I've spoken I think at nine of the conferences. So this will be the first time being tasked with organization and planning for it. So you'll have a committee, right? Is that usually what they do? It's actually just the two of us. It's just Daniel and I putting the whole thing together. Yes. Please tell me there's an admin team to help you. (laughs) There's definitely an admin team to help. And the chairs of the overall conference are there as resources as well. Um, And, you know, the the primary person who's been in touch with me is uh, Lauren Timmons-Sund, who's at uh, the USC Voice Center. She's one of the chairs of the Fall Voice Conference. So she's already um, such a, a great resource to me. So she's there to help if I get in the weeds. That's so exciting. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you so much. This is great. And how about you, Kristen? What's new and what's good? Oh, I, I, I'm kind of flying these days. I'm doing, I'm trying to slow down a little bit. So I started like making my own sourdough bread, which has a lot of steps, but you, when you do it, it's like a moment to be like, in the mo- like in the present, you know, mm-hmm. practicing that and making my own vegan cheese and like learning how to, I, I'm going to try some vegan butter later on. I'm going to make some of my own. So doing some of that stuff. Sorry, if you hear a jingle, it's not little elves. It's a little dog who is shaking here anyway. Um, and then I think I, I'm flying this week because, and I love the fact that I'm talking to two SLPs right now, because you're going to appreciate this as much as I do. Um, I have three particular singers who at one point had some vocal challenges and had been given some very limiting statements about what was going to be possible for them. And one of them just uh, debuted at Lincoln Center. The next oh. one is also going to deb- debut in a couple of weeks there as well. And the other one just got, I'm, I'm like throwing up of happy she just got an invitation to sit on the Grammy board. So, oh, wow. You know, and it's like looking at the, where this, if she had, if they had believed the limiting stories that were dancing all around them, their choices would have been very different, but they chose resourcefulness and resilience and they, they did the work, you know, they, they really shifted some of their, they created a new singer's life for themselves. Yeah. And uh, so I'm celebrating cause this is all like, it's all kind of a, like snowballing right now. So we're kind of in the energy of celebration. So we're excited. What a message like to lead with right away. Yeah. Um, because that is truly, you know, in, in all of the years that I have been, working, it's, we just see time after time after time that, you know, voice problems, voice injury, they do not need to limit your potential. They do not need to derail your career. There's so, there's so much out there. There's so many resources. There's so much help out there. Um, and you know, we, we have to just keep fighting to change that message and kind of reframe how we view and, and talk about voice problems, voice injury, as instead of being that limiting factor as being an an opportunity. So we'll move into our next segment, Experience, Strength and Hope. Before we talk about your work with patients and singers, let's hear more about you. 
So, so after 11 years at the Sean Parker uh, Institute, you then go and open a voice center in Westchester. So can you talk to us a little bit about what made you decide to make this shift and, and what need did you see that was going on and how this is filling that? Yeah, this, this was, this was not an easy decision to make. Okay. To, to leave a well-established, you know, well-oiled, incredible machine and say, okay, I'm going to go somewhere small and help build something new. It's, it's scary. It is leaping and seeing what comes of it. Um, and, you know, during all of that time at the Parker Institute for the Voice, we would see so many patients coming in from Westchester County, from the neighboring counties, from Dutchess County, where I'm from. Um, and, you know, these patients would have to travel a really long distance to get high quality voice care. And I mean, they would take full days off of work. And that's, that's really difficult to do. Yeah. And as, as someone who is a Hudson Valley girl, I'm from Wappingers Falls originally, and mm -hmm. I moved to Westchester County, you know, I kept looking for opportunities to help my community and say like, these are my neighbors. These are my kids' school teachers. These are my daughter's, you know, theater directors. Like, how can I help people in the community? So for a while I was doing that on kind of a semi-private basis, or I was doing some per diem work at a local hospital. I was per diem at, at Phelps Memorial Hospital for a while. Um, but I really wanted to find something that offered that true interdisciplinary clinic experience, which is really the laryngologist and, you know, voice specialized speech pathologist, or we can kind of colloquially say voice therapist combined giving that quality care. And so when I saw that there was an open position at Westchester medical center, my interest was immediately piqued. Mm -hmm. um, and when I saw that the laryngologist on board who, you know, would be the partner was Dr. David Garber, who's, you know, a really talented, thoughtful, intelligent person with fantastic training. I and mean, he was, he trained at NYU voice center. And then he went on to do his laryngology fellowship in Seattle under Dr. Marathi. So he's coming with a, a pretty fantastic pedigree. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, I had to consider it. And it, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't easy to leave where I was, but it was this very exciting opportunity for growth. And I was craving that growth and already having the experience of being a founding member of a voice institute. Because when I started at Weill Cornell, there was no voice institute. We were the, the voice weirdos in the department of ENT. <laughs> And we later became the Sean Parker Institute for the voice. So I, I was a founding member. And so I, I had already helped build something and I knew that I was the right person for this job. I just felt it in my bones that I was the right person to do this. Um, so I'm, I'm really proud of what we're building. We are the only interdisciplinary voice clinic in the Hudson Valley. Um, and it's a very highly collaborative model of healthcare. Um, so it's, it's exciting to get the word out there. So thank you for helping us get the word out there and, and talking about us. Um, we're really trying to help our own community. Nice. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. There's so many, like, um, there's so many, um, even high school students who want to get into NYU, the musical theater, you know, um, I know there's Broadway singers living in Westchester. Oh, yes. And everybody <laughs> takes a long trip down to, um, 
Manhattan, but it's nice that there's care available oh, absolutely. Um, in Westchester. That's awesome. That's great. Actually, um, I made my first referral to you guys recently um, because, uh, you know, I had heard about this voice center that was opening up, but also, you know, the, the quality matters, you know, and so it was when I heard that you were from that you were running and I was like, Oh, Sean Parker, I had a very positive experience. So um, my husband in 2017 had um, surgery, voice surgery there. And you guys took very good care of him. His voice is doing amazing. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> yes. And so um, so that was where I was always referring to. Um, but then when so I just sent I just sent my first singer over your way. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You know, it's it's it has been really great because I'm also getting a lot of referrals from the laryngologists in New York City as well. I'm getting, you know, from from all of the people I know uh, they're, they're you know getting phone calls. Hey, I've got somebody who lives, you know, in Irvington or who lives in Rybrook and, you know, and, oh. and they're coming here. Can we send them to you? And I go, yes. So I, I am taking referrals from other laryngologists as well. And that's that's taking a, a nice portion of my caseload as well. I am I am very busy, which is a great problem to have. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, kind of on that front, um, we are finally at a point now that I'm a year in that we've gotten busy enough where we actually are planning to expand. So nice. keep your eyes and ears open um, because there should be a position for a new speech language pathologist um, nice. made available pretty soon. So I, I'm excited to soon hopefully have a fantastic colleague as well. Awesome. <laughs> yes. So in most voice clinics, it seems there's like a one to two month like waiting list sometimes to get appointments. So I'm glad to hear that you guys are expanding in so quickly. Yes, I mean the, it's certainly the case for us as well. Um, we're, we're we've gotten to that point. Um, I have the most incredible coordinator, like Robin. I, I talk about her like she. I just bow down to her. She is the person who she sees an opening on my schedule, and she's on the phone looking to fill that opening with someone who has a wait time. You know that she's like we can we can get that person in sooner. So it's it's a lot of hustle, um, and a lot of legwork. But the team is really committed to helping everybody we can as quickly as possible. And why do you think there's been such a like a vacancy in or a vacuum in, in Westchester? I mean, it's a pretty congested area. It's not the city, but high population. Absolutely. I honestly have no idea why mm -hmm. this hasn't come to fruition sooner. I really don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm just glad that we're here to help fill that need. Yeah. So okay you're starting a voice center i'm sure that everything just went perfectly smoothly there were no challenges <laughs> problems you know snags along the way no so can you talk to us a little bit about the obstacles you faced and how, how you're moving maneuvering through them yeah there there are a lot of obstacles i mean when when you're the first in, in an area, there's a lot of education that has to happen. There's education to our staff. There's education to our call center employees. Um, but honestly, the, the most challenging thing is dealing with my own personality. Uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I am that person who like, puts the cart before the horse. I am that person who, who sees the potential of what can be in 10 years and I want it immediately. And you know, know thyself, right? Like when you know this about yourself, 
you keep things in check. So I started the job. I started this position with all of this wild energy. And I was like posting all the time. And I'm like, look at, you know, building an institute, hashtag building a voice institute, you know, week one and all these things. And because I was excited about everything that was going to come. And, you know, I never want, I don't want to give anyone the impression that I have lost that energy or that it's stalled in any way, because that's not true. It has just become quieter and more focused and very deliberate. And we're trying to understand where we fit within our department of otolaryngology, where we fit in the, the broader scheme of the hospital and the hospital system, yeah. um, who the stakeholders are and where the priorities are. And I mean, the most important thing is looking at who is coming to us, who has the need, who are our patients and what do they need? So I've certainly seen like a decrease in the number of performers that I treat, you know, at the Parker Institute, it was kind of 70% of my caseload was performers of all levels from student to professional. And now that's really dropped to maybe more 20%. I think the challenge is really looking at who we are in the broader scope of the community and the hospital. And, and that takes some, that takes some legwork. It takes some analysis and review of our demographics, review of who's coming, who's coming back, um, you know, and figuring out how to accommodate everyone and make it work. So it has been, you know, an incredible year of growth and, and it continues to grow, especially, you know, now that we have the thought of adding a new person to the team. Um, but, you know, it's, it's challenging because you want to see that 10 year plan come to fruition right away. And you have to just kind of slow down and be calm about it. <laughs> and that's just not my nature. <laughs> Are you getting a lot of teachers? I do get a lot of teachers. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, last year for World Voice Day, um, Dr. Garber and I did a webinar for school teachers um, in the what was it? it was the I believe it was the the Northern the Westchester. Yeah, the, the Northern Westchester Bosey. I remember program. seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. They they helped us um do a really nice webinar that's still available on the BOCES website. Um, and it was just kind of saying, hey, teachers, like we love you and we appreciate everything you do for our kids, especially over these past four years of madness and chaos <laughs> during the pandemic. And you know, we're here for you if you need our help. And and teachers really do encounter voice injury more than all of the other professions. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we see a lot of teachers. Um, we see, we see just a big mix of, of all sorts of individuals. And it's very exciting to kind of learn who has a need and, right. and how we can help. Right. I think um, a lot of people know singers and actors as professional voice users, and they might necessarily know teachers as so, but teachers are one of the biggest populations and preachers, clergy, right? Preachers, um, you know, um, lawyers, salespeople, telecommunications professionals, athletic um, instructors. Athletic yeah. instructors. I, I've done some, I've done some research on the group fitness instructor, that's for mm -hmm. sure. And, you know, and, and so, Anyone who uses their voice in a highly demanding way for their profession faces some occupational risk factors. We call them voice ergonomic risk factors. And the reality is, 
you know, you may have a vocally demanding job, but not training on how to use your voice or maintain your voice efficiently for that job. Yeah. So, you know, so we come in on the rehabilitative side of things, but where I would like to see us have more focus is on the prevention and education side of things. That's another place where I think we're very important and needed. Mm. Before we touch in on your research, I think I read um, an article recently that was talking about shifting in um, prevalence of voice disorders because of remote work. Yes. And now because so many people are Zooming, now we have a new category of professional voice demand, you know, and um, it's it's creating changes in the shifting of of prevalence for voice disorders. I think that's so interesting how culture can kind of shift things like that. Oh, absolutely. It's like how we see, you know, new words added to the dictionary. (laughs) It's, 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 it's it's an evolving thing. And I mean, there, there was even, uh, I think it was a study out of the University of Miami, I want to say by, I think Jenny Lee Diaz um, published this a while ago about voice specialized speech language pathologists who were dealing with voice problems related to shifting to telehealth platforms Mm -hmm. um, for the delivery of voice therapy. And, you know, this is what we do. (laughs) This is what we do for a living. And, uh, and we were facing the same problems, myself included. (laughs) Sure. So for our final segment, um, we call this the featured agentic practice. And we usually like to talk about um, having our guest, in this case, you, um, just sharing with us what you think is a great practice that facilitates agency for speakers or freedom for voices. Um, But in this segment, we also want to highlight some of your research. So as we talk about your recent research, you've been so prolific within the last year. I don't know. You're so admirable. I don't know how you... um, do so much writing and you're a mom and you know starting a new voice institute you're pretty impressive with all that you're doing um thank you yes talk with us about some of your new research and as you do that um think about what agentic practice you want to leave with us yes i published a lot um and and there's a lot in, in the works right now um and you know i think one of the one of the studies that was published recently um, that I got to speak about at the Voice Foundation um, annual symposium last year in Philadelphia um, was a it was a very kind of simple survey study. And it was an anonymous survey study just to performers who had a history of voice injury. So if, if they, you know, identified themselves as I am a performer and I have had a history of voice injury, they were welcome to complete this survey. And we just asked this broad group of questions. Um, Amanda Flynn, a wonderful voice teacher, and I kind of came up with this together. We, we were just like, we just want to know more. And we asked all sorts of questions about, you know, what was your injury? What, what were your pathways to care? Um, who did you see? What kind of help did you have? Did it help you? Are you still performing? And so for for that first portion of the study, um, because really we got so much information that it broke down nicely into two different studies. It was kind of like we can either um, dilute the information and kind of cram it into one study or break it apart and talk about it more fully. So we decided to break it apart. So the first portion is available um, at the Journal of Voice. And, um, And if you go to my website, actually, I have it posted there where you can access a PDF. And it's really talking about 
how performers return to performance. And almost every single person who completed that survey, who had a voice injury, was able to return to performing. And kind of the game-changing elements were early access to care. So, you know, being knowing, recognizing some red flags and going and seeking help very early on. And something that was a very important finding in that study was really highlighting the importance of the voice teacher in that process. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of voice teachers. Some of my best friends are voice teachers. <laughs> I like voice teachers. Um, you know, and I want voice teachers to know that how important that relationship is with their students. Um, I, I have been fortunate to have so many amazing voice teachers in my life. Um, and you know, one in particular, Dr. Robert Lowen, Bob, um, from the, from Toronto, um, he, he was, remains the most influential voice teacher I've ever worked with. He has been a mentor and advisor. Um, we touch base, um, not regularly enough. We're always like, why don't we talk more often? Um, and, and I mean, it remains this strong relationship, even 25 years after I graduated, I can't believe it's been that long. What that study highlighted for us was that voice teachers are kind of the first source of education and support. And the voice teacher has this direct role in helping their student recognize the red flags that mm -hmm. may signal a voice injury and help guide them towards early evaluation and treatment. And, you know, what we found, one of the points of that study we found was that the individuals who had a relationship with a voice teacher were more likely to find their treatment successful. And, you know, that may be due to reinforcement from the voice teacher or the voice teacher SLP collaboration. Um, but that, that was kind of a huge finding. And, you know, the second part of the study is looking more closely at who actually has access to a voice care center. So that's kind of directly relevant to what we're doing here in Westchester. Although certainly, you know, anyone traveling to New York City has you know, access to you know, can walk a block and get to a voice center. <laughs> um, but, but looking at like who has access and who wasn't able to get the kind of care that they needed and what were the limiting factors. And I'll be talking about that study at the next voice foundation symposium. Um, and that one really, what we're finding so far, we're still working on the paper. Um, but we're finding that the biggest barriers have to do with finance and insurance limitations mm -hmm. and also with travel restrictions. You know, it's too far to get to a voice center or scheduling problems, um, things like that, or loss of work in order to attend voice therapy, things like that. So we want to look much more closely at how can we increase performers access to care? So mm -hmm. that's kind of, that's one big area of study we've been working on. Another big area of study, uh, this is actually kind of like a follow-up to some of the first papers I ever published at the, um, at the Parker Institute. And that was actually before we became the Parker Institute. Dr. Salika and I wrote two different papers on one particular lesion type um, that some people call a vocal fold pseudocyst. Mm -hmm. um, we, we can call it many, many names and there will never be agreement 
in the field <laughs> of voice on what to call the things, but fortunately there's generally pretty good agreement on what to do about them. <laughs> okay. And in those studies, we found, we found some really interesting things like that, you know, two thirds of the individuals who had a vocal fold pseudocyst were able to return to their normal vocal function without limitation after going through a course of voice therapy. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty good. And a third of those individuals felt that they needed to have surgery to remove the lesion. And the thing that was the game changer wasn't that they couldn't produce a good voice. It was that they couldn't produce a good voice reliably every time. Gotcha. It was that inconsistency. Inconsistency. Yeah. yeah. And if you're, you know, if you're on a Broadway stage eight times a week, you have to be able to know that, you know, what you put out there is going to be pretty consistent with very little variation night after night after night. Um, I don't, I'm not a musical theater performer. I'm a classical singer. So, so, so I, I never had that kind of demand on me, but, um, but you know, that lack of reliability is the big issue. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing now is we're, this is actually the final, um, IRB approved study. I had, approved before I left the Parker Institute. Um, this is a study on the long-term outcomes of these lesions. We want to look and see how these evolve over time because so many of the studies out there, especially on phonotraumatic lesions are looking at, you know, a very limited time period, maybe, you know, a few months or a year or two years. We want to look at five years, 10 years, 15 years. Can we get 20 years? Like, how can we see how these can evolve? Mm -hmm. So again, for anyone who's listening out there, if you ever were diagnosed with a phonotraumatic lesion at the Sean Parker Institute for the Voice, you might be getting a phone call um, <laughs> inviting you for a free video stroboscopic exam um, and asking you to complete a little survey so we can get an idea of how they evolve anatomically and how that impacts one's ability to function and do all the things you want to do with your voice. See, the long-term study aspect, I mean, I think that's something that's missing in a lot of our research, and it makes sense because of the logistics of making something like that happen, but I think this is so key to really understanding the, you know, the sustainability factors and, and yeah, giving us a, a more complete picture of what's happening. Absolutely. I, I'm really excited to hear about this. I will be following. Thank you. You know, I, I, I hope, I hope I'm able to do something quickly. And, and, you know, anytime you dive into any type of clinical research, it's always like, what's, what's going to pan out here? <laughs> like, what, what, because sometimes your finding is nothing, a finding of absolutely nothing, um, which is a little discouraging, but it's also a finding. Yes. Right? <laughs> Yes. It is, it is something it's still data. It's, it's data. still Exciting data. For sure. yes. It's still data. You, you yes. want your research to change the world. Um, but in, in the world of academia, you recognize that not everything's going to change the world and that is okay. Um, because you're answering the questions that need to be answered. You yeah. know, some of, some of our other, and I, I'm, I'm going on and on, but I'm clearly very passionate. <laughs> I was going to say, you seem so, ex you seem so excited. Oh. Like you enjoy it. Not everyone enjoys research. I mean, I'm not going to pretend I enjoy writing the papers. Yes, academic <laughs> writing is brutal. It's brutal. It's brutal. <laughs> it is brutal. Um, but, you know, when you're passionate about it, you know, this, where these questions come from are really looking at, well, what do we keep hearing 
you know, a lot of it, I'm, I talk a lot about performers and, and certainly not all the work I do is about performers, but that is a, a big portion of what I do. Um, we hear all these vocal myths. And so, you know, one of the other studies we launched into a few years ago was just looking at this myth of, you know, singing on steroids, on oral steroids is going to cause you permanent, irreparable voice damage. And I mean, I, I've, I'd heard that before too. I'd, I'd heard that in my career and I never would have ever considered singing on steroids. I was terror, terrified at the thought of it. Um, but we, and we'd see these publications by very reputable people, but there wasn't data. There were no citations. And we were like, that's not what we see when we're seeing our own patients in our clinics. So did anyone study it? And we're like, no, no one studied it. Why don't we study it? Let's answer a, an important question. And so we, we kind of just in routine clinical practice, if someone came to us um, with vocal fold edema or swelling yeah. from, you know, maybe allergies or overuse or, or something of that nature, or just illness, um, it, if oral steroids were an appropriate option, we would offer that or voice rest or any other appropriate option. And if they chose the steroid treatment, we offered them enrollment in our study. And we said, hey, we'd like you to kind of fill out some surveys and, and take some measures on your voice. We're gonna kind of look at the acoustics of your voice and, and the aerodynamics of how your voice is functioning. And we're gonna ask you to come back after your treatment and see how things turned out. And, you know, we published again, we had so much data, it broke down neatly into two different papers, one about um, the video stroboscopic outcomes after treatment and one about their function after treatment. And we were finding people were ending up better than how they started. There were no long-term scary injuries that came out of it. And across the board, their vocal function was, you know, greatly improved. But you always have to put out that caveat there and say, that doesn't mean like just, you know, as a blanket recommendation, put everybody on steroids. Because <laughs> then you're going to have people like, you don't want the irresponsibility of, I'm going to just uh, prescribe them without actually looking at the folds and see what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and sometimes what can happen is the steroids become a crutch because you're masking an underlying problem that could be treated in a better way. And that might be voice therapy. I mean, sometimes that's surgery or, or other types of treatments. Um, so you don't want to keep masking a problem that, because then it can get worse. Then you are looking at bigger issues to deal with down the road. So we, you always have to put that out there and say, don't take mm -hmm. this to mean everybody gets steroids now, but let's do away with this myth that if you sing on steroids, you know, you're going to end your career. Mm -hmm. So Westchester Medical Center is a teaching college, correct? Correct. Yes. So are you going to continue publishing there? I am. Sure? Okay. I hope so. I, yes. Yes. Um, you know, as, as a, an assistant professor with New York Medical College, um, there is an expectation to continue publishing. Um, and I really do. I really like doing that work. Um, I've, I've dabbled for years with the notion of, you know, do I do a PhD, you know, but at the end of the day, you're already the, doing all of it. I mean, I'm doing that work, but clinical care is my number one. And so 
I like the interaction with the patients. I like working with the people. I like being in the trenches. So I want that to inform the research that I'm fortunate enough to do. So, you know, so with that, you know, Dr. Garber and I were kind of looking at, okay, here's a year. We're in a year. Who are the people we see? What are, what are some interesting avenues that we want to explore? Um, because we, you know, for better or for worse, we do not have a large body of patients to look back on. We have, we have a year. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) So that offers up this wonderful thing that's lacking in the field of voice across the board, which is you know, long-term re- uh, prospective study. Right. Let's nice. look at the, like, let's look at, you know, future. Let's, you know, instead of looking back, nice. let's look towards prospective data. So there's a lot of opportunity there and we're chatting a lot about what we can do. Nice. <laughs> well, I love the idea too, of like understanding to a greater degree, the, the voice as it moves through human development, you know, the whole process. So that. Yes. That's very salient. Yes. It's, you know, one of the joys about being a dynamic instrument, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we are dynamic as humans and always evolving. And the voice is a component of that. Yeah. One of our former guests uh, called the, uh, Jeremy, called, yes. called the, the voice a moving target throughout all of life. <laughs> so I, I miss Jeremy being in New York. Oh, I wish he was still here because he really, he has such pearls to share and he did, yes. he said such great things on your podcast. He really did. Oh my goodness. We love him. Well, now it's time for your pearls. So what are you going to leave us with? What do you think is, is your agentic practice? So I think that my agentic practice is actually something that I care about deeply as a clinician, but I also care about deeply as a partner to my laryngologist, Dr. Garber. Um, I'll present it that way kind of first. Um, Dr. Garber and I, in, in kind of figuring out our flow in our clinic, you know, what, what I really enjoy is we walk in together as a team, we evaluate as a team, we're glancing at each other, we're playing off of each other because we both want to get important information that's relevant to the person that we really care about who's in the chair in front of us. And then we leave together and we chat and then we come back with a plan. But what goes on outside of the room in that little chat is debate sometimes. I mean, look, we're both well-trained people with a lot of experience. So more often than not, we're totally on the same page and, you know, we're like, boom, boom. Okay. Let's go back. But other times we debate. And what's great is there's, there's safety. We create a, there's a safe place there to be wrong. You know, there's not, there's not a fear of, of saying the wrong thing. Um, because if you say the wrong thing, okay, let's, let's talk it out you know, and so, and that's important if you're building any kind of practice, like as we add a new team member and hopefully continue to expand, I want to maintain that feeling of a safe environment to take the risk of being wrong. Um, Because in my clinical practice, I try to make an environment where my singers or any of my patients you know, let's go of this notion that there is a right voice and a wrong voice, that there is a good voice and there's a bad voice. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry, really... the heavens just opened. <laughs> Angels are singing right now. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy to hear that. You know, because you know, going going through a classical career as I did, and 
you know, and, and I share sometimes some of my own issues with performance anxiety driven by really needing to be right and, and produce the right thing. I, I don't want to impose that on anyone in my office. So I want to free them of that restraint. We have, we have so many voices within us and every voice in us has its own place and its own role and is a perfectly valid thing that you can use whenever you want. And I want to help any singer understand what works for them in different ways as a singer, as an artist, as a human being, so that they have control on their own to know what works for them and what's great for, you know, the one-off performance versus the eight show a week performance. Um, what, you know, but ultimately what helps them feel like they're authentic, unique, artistic selves, you know, what, what helps them maintain their, their sense of artistic integrity. Um, so, you know, what, when I'm working with my patient, so much of that energy is focused on, you know, feeling free to crack or make an ugly sound, um, because we, we make great discoveries in those moments. There are, there are so many great things that come out of that. And I'm, spending my time teaching them how to become their own SLP. Like you had, you had, um, Diana Rose Becker from the Emory voice center on at one point, And she gave this great example. And I just went, yes, about, you know, <laughs> have, you can have your patients say 10 ahs in a row and they have no idea what they're doing. They're just, they're just going through the motions. But when you teach them why, it's important and what to feel for and, and how to recognize what the target is. When you teach them how to look for a target and aim for that target, you're giving them the control. You're putting them back in the driver's seat. And, you know, I, I just, I always think about my old voice lessons. I truly used to walk into voice lessons sometimes and just go like, okay, fix my voice. And like, <laughs> there, there was humor to it, but there was also a degree of sincerity <laughs> you know, it, it makes I, you I told feel. my old voice teacher, I said, I don't know what's going on. You're going to earn your money today. <laughs> <laughs> like we do that to ourselves. Don't we, we place ourselves at this, in this A disempowering. Position. Yes. yes. Where, the, where the voice teacher or the voice therapist or the doctor holds all the cards. And I want to teach you to not need me because you are doing it on your own. And I will be as much of a resource as I can to help you get there. I, I will help, help, help to help you get there. And a lot of this comes down to, you know, what we call metatherapy. Yes. Um, there's some good stuff going on out there on metatherapy. I'm actually very excited. I'm a, a co-author. I was invited to be a co-author on a paper um, really helmed by um, Leah Hallou nice. and Sarah Martino and Jackie Gartner-Schmidt um, on metatherapy and really understanding like, how do we define it? How does it apply to voice therapy? And, and how do we teach the how and the why and those subtle skills? And that goes not only to teaching our patients, but it also goes to teaching young clinicians and mentoring young clinicians. Cause those are things that come with time. You know, yeah. when, when you, when you graduate from a voice program, um, and many who were fortunate to do a clinical fellowship in voice, I was not one of those people. I, my clinical fellowship was in skilled nursing facilities. People are sometimes surprised to hear that information. Um, but I didn't do a CFY in voice. I mean, the uh, voice CF is a relatively new, 
um, development within the field. It is, but it existed when I went to school. It mm -hmm. did. Um, but there at weren't that time, many of them. There weren't many. Right. And, you know, at that time I was looking at other things. I was a second career SLP and, you know, my things in my personal life kind of took priority over leaving New York and doing a, a voice CFY. So I did the best that I could. And I observed anyone who would let me walk in the door um, to get that, some of that knowledge. Um, but really, you know, SLPs coming out of those training programs, we were learned really hierarchical approaches to voice therapy. And we learned to kind of blow the bubbles through the straw. And we're learned to, you know, start with syllables and go to words and go to phrases and things like that. Um, but teaching the skills of like recognizing change, feeling differences kinesthetically, hearing differences orally, having that kind of self-control over the changes you make and understanding how that doesn't change your personality or your vocal identity, but mm. it's just giving you more tools in your toolkit to use. Mm -hmm. Those are things that come with experience. And so we're trying to figure out how to teach them at an early time. So who knows, maybe you'll see something like that at the fall voice conference. Nice. conference. Yeah, I don't no, know. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited about everything that I'm hearing about metatherapy. Uh, I think Good it fits stuff. in really, really well with a trauma informed approach. Yes. And I really love um, that you shared safety as your agentic practice, because that is a, a key principle of a trauma informed approach. And I think you're the first person that has mentioned the importance of safety. And I love the fact that she highlighted you highlighted freedom and empowerment, but you started with safety. Yes. And we're kind of believers that like one leads to the other. Oh, <laughs> yes. You know, yes. that was great. Yes. yes. And she also talked about collaboration and mutuality. You just cover in everything. Ah! <laughs> She's I like, I'm about all the things. <laughs> I, I, re I really care about those things. I mean, and it takes time to build that trust. Sometimes that trust is gained the, the first time you meet somebody. And sometimes it takes time and effort to build that trust. And sometimes that trust doesn't happen. And, you know, if I feel like my my patient could would feel a greater sense of trust and, and would benefit from working with someone else my ego will let go of that and say hey let's segue you to this person and yeah. and see you know and this is not me kicking you out of my office i actually want you to stay here but i want you to get the best that you can for yourself so if it takes another set of ears and eyes and another personality to do it then I'll help you get there. And nice. then, then I'm doing my job as best as I can. But what, sometimes if someone is, you know, cracks in my office because they have let go of the hyper function that comes with trying to create the perfect sound, I'm just like, yeah. it's like yes. a moment of applause and, and <laughs> gratitude for trusting me enough to make that that crack happen to allow that crack to happen <laughs> one of the analogies i use with some of my singers is that you know like if you watch the old the old uh bambi movie you know bambi in that first scene is kind of wobbly right <laughs> like oh, yes. and does that mean that bambi was doing anything wrong that wobble that happens is exactly what needs to happen and then he's frolicking in the next scenes yes. you know so some of those wobbles are are the new things getting in the game and and those deserve to be celebrated they sure so, do I love that. That's great. Yeah. Okay. My goodness, Christine, we could talk to you all night, literally. Um, it's been so enjoyable, but I guess we should do a wrap up. 
So um, unless there's anything pressing anyone has to say, I'll go ahead and do the closing. I'll just say it's just been an absolute pleasure to be here. So thank you for letting me talk. And, you know, anyone out there, you might find Geneva and I on the Empire Trail at some point, because that's how we actually met uh, on my bicycle. And she was hiking and we ran into each other by complete chance and did I not like, I pull out our phones. And we, I, I all of a sudden hear Christine. I went, what? And, and neither of us thought of taking a selfie to document it for social media purposes or anything. But <laughs> it was I'm an authentic so, interaction <laughs> it was it really was um so i'm i'm thrilled that that helped us find each other here today so thank yes. you both for having me yes so in this episode we discuss building a new voice institute with christine estes some of her latest research with singers and the importance of trauma-informed principles such as safety collaboration neutrality and empowerment voice and choice. We are so grateful to have had her. If you enjoyed today's content, please don't forget to subscribe to the Agentic Voice podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a review um, and let us know what you wanna hear more of, what you like, what you don't like. Your engagement helps our podcast grow. Until next time, take care. Mm -hmm.